Uh, we are in our series called Running with the Giants, and if you've been following along with us, it's really just been a series about looking at some of the characters uh, throughout Scripture that we can kind of glean from and learn from. You know, there's no point of doing all the mistakes and the, the lessons and learning it all in, in ourselves. Sometimes we can heed the experience of others and learn from their mistakes and learn from their experiences and their successes, and this is just this beautiful opportunity we have uh, there are, our scripture that we've been going through is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, therefore, therefore, why is it therefore? And we've talked about this, if you've been with us the last few uh, weeks, we understand that therefore means that there's something, it's therefore. You don't start an argument, you don't go into any, any court system and the, the lawyer or the, the gets up and his first argument is therefore. It doesn't, you don't start that, right? You, that's usually following some sort of sentence, and therefore is sort of continuation on Hebrews 11. And what's Hebrews 11? Many of, you, of us know Hebrews 11 is sort of this hall of faith that outlines all the heroes, not all of them, a lot of them, men and women of God who God used to serve for his purpose all throughout history. And the author of this uh, chapter is just highlighting a few because he even goes on to say, I don't have time to mention all the others. There's so many that we can glean from. And he's outlining all these heroes of faith, all these men and women from years and years, decades and decades, centuries ago, who've served and followed after the Lord's leading. And he's, he's saying this out. He's talking to the new church. He's talking to the church in the New Testament. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so in this one verse, we get this visual of this stadium. If you're a visual reader like me, you kind of picture what you read. We're in this huge stadium, and there's thousands and thousands, probably millions of people in this cloud of witnesses who are watching you and I run our leg of the race. And we can hear them cheering, ah, ah, Kenzie, ah, return for you. Ah. You know, we can hear this like, this hush of a crowd, this, the screams of a crowd, but John Maxwell wrote a book called Running with the Giants, and his premise is, what if one of these people could come out of the crowd and join us for a leg of the race, one lap of the race? What could we glean from? What could we learn from them? What would they tell us from their experiences. And it's a great premise because sometimes we can forget that these men and women, and sometimes they're only mentored in a chapter or mentored in a single verse, and it encompasses a whole span of faith and life. But what can we learn from them without just skipping over them too quickly? We, what can we learn that, we can, that makes us uh, live our life and run our race with confidence? If you've been following with us, we start with Jacob. We say, listen, when life isn't turning out the way you had hoped, that we need to let God have control of your life. We saw how Jacob's life was that. Then uh, Dawn looked at Isaiah and said, when, when, when you're trying to make sense of it all, when things are just confusing, you're trying to wrap a rain out of all this going on, listen, just an encounter with God changes everything. Just go back to the presence of God. When you need to simplify things, just go back to Jesus. And last week, Pastor Nick talked about Elisha, and he says, listen, when you ever wonder if your life counts, just give, what, give to God whatever, wherever he places you. Give your best to God wherever he places you. And so today we're going to look at the life of Samson. Of Samson. 
Samson. Samson. Many of if you, if you know the Old Testament, if you know the story, there are very few of us that would lump Samson into giants of faith. It seems, it seems silly that his name would appear in this list. However, the writer of Hebrews made point to outline Samson as someone who we should listen to. Who do we know about Samson? Well, Samson was a judge, and judges were rulers in Israel's times before they were kings. They had these judges that would, rule, that would rise up and sort of become a conduit for God's authority, almost like a king, but not, a, not the title of a king. And they would lead for these certain areas, usually against some kind of a dominant power. And Samson was a judge, and he was mentioned in the Hall of Fame. And many of us understand, well, why is he mentioned? And I honestly believe, I'm going to tell you that answer at the end. So if you guys stay with me, why I believe he was there. But he, he was a surprise, he's surprising. And I, I believe that even the readers of the original text and, and he, even those under the original moment, Samson, why are you talking about Samson? Now listen, his life from the very beginning, was filled with dishonesty, disobedience, and deceit. Like, even from the beginning. He was captured by the Philistines. You know, he lived a life for himself, and eventually he gets captured by the Philistines, and as they capture him, they do something that is, like, you know, everyone's worst nightmare. They gouge out his eyeballs. Like, that does not sound like a fun experience. They gouge out his like just crazy stuff and he spends his whole life the remaining part of his life he spent like an oxen he's he's chained to this grinding mill and he's just walking in circles chained to this mill grinding grain and this is who the hero of faith is today and we have to ask ourselves why we have to we have to dig into the text and say what is it about his story that you and i can glean from or learn from if he was to run the race with us what would he tell us. Listen, I believe this is for those of us who would believe that we have, we can see everything clearly on our own. This is for those who believe that, hey, I've got my life all figured out. I, I see everything clearly. I see everything all on my own. I don't need any outside influence. I don't need outside input. I know what my life is all about. I can cancel everyone else around me, and I'm just going to live out my truth in my way because I know what's best for me. Sounds a little bit like our culture today, doesn't it? And this is what Samson's life was like. Samson, if you read the story of Samson, he sounds to me like a, bra a bratty, snotty-nosed child. He is. He is this bratty, snotty-nosed child who just argues with his parents to get what he wants, and it doesn't turn out for him. And I would think Samson would say he was blind before he even lost his eyes. I think Samson would even say he was blind before his even eyes were gouged out. And he would come to us today, and I believe Samson would tell you and I, you don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. That we can live in our world, and we can have full sight, but we can miss everything. That we can be blind to the things of God, that we can be blind to our purposes of God, that we can be blind to all that God has for us. And so, I mean, that we see that the Word of God, Psalms 119 says, the Word of God is what? A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so my prayer is today that as we allow God's Word to illuminate our path and to light up our way, that, our, that we would see God in our lives and His purposes for our lives even clearer. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what situation you find yourself in. I don't know what, what maybe seems a little bit foggy to you. 
but I'm praying today that we would somehow, in some way, get a clearer picture of who God is and what God wants to do for our lives today. Are you with me? Everyone's good? All right, so we gave it away a little bit here. What's the first thing that we can be blind to right now? I think from Samson's life, we can learn that we can be blind to God's purposes for our life. We can be blind to God's purposes. What's the will of God? You hear a lot of people, I don't know what God's plan for my life is. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know why I'm here. There can be this, this tossing and turmoil season of our lives, but we can be blind. See, God had a call on his life to lead. God had a call on Samson's life to lead, and he tossed it all the way. It's very similar to the story of Abraham and, and Sarah, who were the, the parents of Isaac, Right? It was it's also very similar to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist. Both of these couples were old and barren. They were well along in their years. They had given up their, their chances of having children. They, they was, it was beyond them. And then in those situations, both Old Testament and New Testament example, we see a, an angel of God, or the man of God, appears to them and says, you are going to give birth to a child, a child of promise, a child of purpose. And, and Samson's parents are the same situation. They are, they're old, they are barren, they haven't had any kids. And an angel of the Lord appears to his mother and says, you are going to have a child. You are going to have a child and you will become pregnant. You'll become pregnant and you'll have a son. And it's never to, and, and a razor is never to touch the boy's head because he's going to be a Nazareth. He's dedicated to God from the womb. And here's the purpose. He will take lead in delivering evil, uh, Israel rather, from the hands of the Philistines. Listen, they were living under rule right now, and God had appointed Samson to be the next leader of purpose. I mean, his mom is, is surprised by all this. She goes and tells her husband. Her husband's like, if it's so, let's invite him back. Maybe he'll come in back and he'll speak to us. The angel of God comes back again and confirms this message to them together, and they have this son named Samson, and he was to live a Nazarite life. He was set apart. He was called to be different. He was called to defeat the Philistines, not be captured by them. He, he was called to live a life set apart, not to live like everyone else. But Samson never fully grasped the call of God's purpose for his life. And this calling or this life of purpose isn't just resigned for judges and these super elite or, or, or vocational ministers, but we are all called to live a life of purpose. You know, you're not born just for yourself. You're not just born to live, to, to love, and just to die. There's, you have a life of purpose. You have a life meant for something greater than you and I maybe could even fully understand. Ephesians tells us that we are God's handiwork, we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece, another translation says. Created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, to do something of life, a purpose, a value, all that God had prepared in advance for us to do. Your life is not meaningless, your life is not purposeless. Our job is not to be blind to our God's purpose, but to discover and to see for ourselves what is God's purpose for my life in this season and where I am at. You may not be where you want to be, but where God has placed you, he has placed you for a purpose. He's placed you for a reason. Allow him to open your eyes to see what that is. Proverbs 10, 29 says, for where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And we've seen this, right? When you and I, when we feel don't, we, don't have, we don't have a purpose for our life, then we don't need to have to get out of bed in the morning. You know, if we don't have a purpose for our day, there's no read to rush out and get dressed. There's, if we don't have a purpose for our life, then we can live in this like, well, whatever, cast off all restraint, 
no sense of boundaries, no sense of responsibilities. What's, it's whatever. And no, 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 you need a vision. You need a purpose. You need to get God to give you a vision for your life. What happens when we don't have it? Listen, when I don't see God's vision for my life, I am in danger then of living or selling for an earthly counterfeit. When I don't have a God vision for my life, when I don't have a God purpose for my life, I'm in danger of just selling for, settling for whatever comes my way, whatever sounds good at the moment, whatever sounds good at the time, whatever my, my emotions lead me in the moment. But how many people know emotions are good indicators, but they are not good at setting vision for your life? It's good to trust your emotions and to gauge the moment, but your emotions should not dictate your direction. They're false leaders in many of our cases, if not all of our cases. And so we need to get a God vision. We can be blind to the purposes of our life. Secondly, we can be blind to the power of relationships, can't we? We can be blind to the power of relationships. Samson demonstrated this, that you know you can be blind, and how many people know that bad relationships are powerful in a bad way, right? Good relationships are also powerful in a good way. Relationships have the power to direct our future direct our steps and we pick up his story in judges 14 and it says he's now a little bit older and when he returned he he said to his father and mother this is where he sounds like a brat it's this this passage of scripture fyi in case you're looking for it okay he says i have found a philistine woman in timnah now go get her for me as my wife just like a, i want to smack him and other parents when you're telling when your kids talk to you like that go get me that cup of coke what? Come again? You know? Go get for her, man. And his parents are so kind. Like his father and mother, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Isn't there someone acceptable among your people? What, what are they saying there? We're not talking about like marrying your cousin. What they're talking about, isn't there not someone acceptable among people who share the same values as we share, who serve the same God as we serve? Can't you find somebody in our own community, in our own value system that aligns us? This is not a, a, he's not saying, you know, don't cross cultural date. What he's saying is find someone who has values, who shares the same values as you. Is there not somebody who serves God the way you serve God, the way we serve God? And then he says, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to go get your wife? Listen, the, 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 the parents here are saying, listen, find someone who has the same values and belief system. Find someone who shares our same values. Shame God. But Samson said to his father, go get her for me, for she is the one for me. And in this moment, I, I bet this is the defining moment to me in Samson's life when you read his story. Because it was this decision, it was this push. Even he did not heed the advice of his parents, he did not heed the wisdom and the perspective of his mom and dad for his life. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. And this decision probably was the worst decision of his life. It was how then he would spend the rest of his life defined by his relationships. See, your life can reflect the people you associate with and the people you hang out with. First Corinthians says, do not be misled. What does it say? Bad company. What does it do? Corrupts good character. We've heard it said, show me your friends and I will show you what? Your future. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. You see, in this situation, Samson wanted to have a friend 
who was not like him. He wanted to have a friend who didn't share the values that he shared. He wanted to marry into a family that didn't serve the God that, he, that, that they served. He wanted to marry someone who was outside of the value system. And his mom and dad were like, listen, listen, there is a better way. Remember, they are, this is a miracle child. This is a child of purpose. This is a child that they, they raised up and they cared for and they tried to lean him into, into the ways and the knowledge of God because he was designed to lead, right? To lead the people of Israel against the Philistines, not to marry them, not to become a part of them, not to settle for his purpose and just become one of them. He was set to be a part. And he didn't listen to his parents' perspective. He didn't see what his parents saw. There's a reason why Paul tells the church in Ephesus to honor your father and mother. Young people, We need to listen to your parents' perspectives. They are at times able to see what you cannot see. See, this is the commandment with promise that you may go well, that you may live and enjoy a long life on earth. How many people know that we all need other sets of eyes looking out for us? We need other sets of eyes to help us see clearly the things that we cannot see. We need to have other people's eyes to see the perspectives and the follies and the shortfalls and the pitfalls that we, can, that we could fall into because we don't have a clear picture of what's going around us. We need people love, who love us enough to speak clearly and consistent truth and perspective into our lives. I remember I was in Bible college. I think it was around my second year of college and the dean of students tapped me on the shoulder in a chapel service one time and he did one of these, you know. We're in worship. I was, I'm sure I was in this posture of sorts because that's where I live. And he tapped me on the shoulder, and I'm like, what's going on? And I see the dean of students, not the guy you want to be doing this with. He's like, you ever have those moments? Maybe not the dean of students, but your parents, your mom calls you, or your dad, or the principal, and your heart just sinks. That was that moment. I wanted to throw up immediately, right? Anyway, we go downstairs to his office. Chapel's going on. And he says, you want to tell me something? Trap. I knew that was a track. Trap. Said, nope. Anyway, he goes on to outline a few mistakes that I made and the consequences of those decisions. And he said something to me that I'll never, ever forget. forget. He says, Adam, I love you enough for you to hate me right now. And I've never forgotten that moment because he saw something that I did not see. He had a perspective of a track that I was on that if I continued to walk that road, it would lead me in the wrong direction. But he saw what I could not see and he loved me enough for me to hate him in that moment to put me back on the right track. And I could have done one of two things. I could have said, forget you. I'm going to do my own thing. I think I can see clearly. Or I can say, thank you for loving me enough for you to hate me. I do hate you and probably will for a little bit but I'm going to listen to your advice. And I did. And, uh, you know, yeah, look at me now! You know, just... <laughs> but you know what? We have people, and we all need to embrace those people in our life who can see what we cannot see and surround ourselves with people who love us enough for us to hate them And when, when the time comes. Thirdly, we can be blind to the nature of God. His anointing, gave Samson his strength beyond his natural strength. And God's presence is with with him, even in his ungodly life. We don't have the time to read all of Samson's story, but you can go read it for yourself in Judges 16. 
But there's, he's constantly, as a Nazarite, he's not supposed to cut his hair. He's not supposed to touch dead carcasses. There's there's all these things, and he's constantly doing that. He's constantly flirting with all the rules. He's constantly being disobedient. He's constantly uh, uh, just, that word I'm looking for is he's constantly just pushing it all away. He constantly doesn't care. He doesn't care. But here's the thing about God's grace is that the power and the presence of God remains with him. Even in his own disobedience, even in his delay, even when he turns his back and he does the things he knows he should not do, God's power, God's strength, God's purpose is still trying to make a way through. But, God, but by God's grace. And how many of us can say thank you for God's grace that he continues to use us and flow through us despite our continual disobedience? But like Samson, we continue to circle back, don't we? We continue to circle back on our, to our sinful ways, treating God sometimes as common, as ordinary, as usable, as reusable. And in doing so, I think what happens is that we too very become blind to actually the nature of God. You see, as you read Samson's story, he meets up with this woman named Delilah, and she turns out to be against him. She turns out to be part of the Philistines' camp, and the Philistine warriors are looking for a way to defeat Samson. And so they go to Delilah and say, can you get the secret of Samson's strength? And so they have this dialogue, and Delilah wants to know, and Samson, this is the thing that blows my mind. Samson gives him a, a lie, gives her a lie, and she uses that lie against him. And he wakes up and he defeats the Philistines, and he does it again. And not only does it again, he does it now three times. Talk about someone who devalues the nature of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God. It's like he just, he just throws it away like it's nothing. He doesn't cherish it. He doesn't treasure it. He forgets that he's a child of promise, that he was designed in birth for purpose until one day, until one day, something changes. We pick up the story in Judges 16, 19. It says, after putting him to sleep on her lap, this is Delilah putting Samson to sleep on her lap, she calls for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. This is where his true strength began. And so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. His strength left him. Then she called called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And just like the other previous two times that this happened, he gets up and he wakes up from his sleep and he says, I'll go out and I'll shake, the, I'll shake them free. I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He's like, listen, I, God's with me, with me all the time. God has never left me. God has never forsaken me. Why would this time be any different? But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles and set him to the grinding grain in the prison. Listen, I've gone out before. This is Samson. I've gone out before. I, I've disobeyed God before. I've, I, I've, I've turned my back on God before. I, I've minimized God's presence before. I've, I've spat on my purpose before, and God has never left me yet. Why would he leave me now? In this moment, he realizes that he maybe has just gone a little bit too far out of the grace of God. Samson didn't know that the nature of God, he didn't know or respect the nature of God. See, we speak a lot about the goodness of God. We sang about it this morning. And I'm so grateful for the goodness of God that finds us and rescues us and carries us and sustains us. It is awesome. It's been said, listen, if God has a fridge, your picture would be on it. He loves you. You're his favorite. You're his, you can turn to your neighbor and say, I'm his favorite. You're his favorite. 
you know? He loves you. And sometimes we can get lost in this, this idea of the goodness of God, the grace of God, but also forget the full countenance of God, that he's also a God of judgment. He's also a God of, 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 he's also a God of holiness, that he needs to be respected and honored, that actually he needs to be feared, not trembled, but honored, respected. There has to be this sense of holy reverence towards who God is. Genesis tells us that in, in Genesis 6, is that, and the Lord said that my spirit shall not always strive. What does that mean? Always struggle, always fight vigorously for, with man. Like, I'm not going to always wrestle with men to love me. At some point, I just got to step back and let them come to me when they're ready to come. He's not always going to fight for us and fight for our hearts. He's done everything he can. He's always there. He's reached out to us. All we have to do is receive back to it. But if, you keep, if we and I keep moving further and further back, like, at some point, God's going to say, well, I respect your decision enough but I'm always here when you're ready. I'm always here. He always loves us, but if you and I, we choose to step out of his nature, we have to be ready, what, for the consequences of our decisions. God is not a bad God if we're reaping the consequences of our own decisions. We can say, well, why God? Why God did, did he allow this to happen? Well, it's, it's cause and effect. You reap what you sow. There is this element of God's grace eventually. It's, I don't know when that is, I don't, I'm not here to tell you when that is, but I can tell in Scripture here that some way, in some way, the Spirit of God actually left Samson. He was with him through all of it. But at some point, he just stepped too far out. He just dismissed God's grace. You say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. That's not New Testament. That's not about Jesus. That's Old Testament theology. That's New Testament. No, no, no. Look at Romans 6. says, What shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, should we just continue living this life of sin, knowing that the God's grace is sufficient and all-powerful to cover us? No, by all means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Listen, if we are made new in Christ, we don't want to live in the old way. If we've been new in Christ and live in a new purpose, we don't want to live in the old way of living. We want to embrace the new way, the new way where we're allowing God to work in us and through us. We, are, yeah, we trip up, we fall along the way, but our pursuit is holiness. Our pursuit is righteousness. Our pursuit is just living. See, when you and I understand what it means to actually fear God, that's when you and I can actually live fearlessly. When we understand what it actually is to walk in the fear of God, that's when you and I can actually live a life that's fearless, where we can live a life of confidence. It's knowing when, when the principal knocks on your shoulder and says, can you come talk to me? You're like, listen, I have done everything right. I've done, I haven't done anything mistake. I'm now, now not nervous going to that. I think this is actually going to be a good meeting because I've lived a pretty good life right now. Listen, when you operate in righteousness, when you live under the fear of God and you walk upright and you're not perfect, but you continue to make strides towards God and the goodness of God, then you can live this fearless life. You're not worried about getting caught. You're not worried about getting found out. You're not worried about losing everything because of God's grace. And so we see that we can be blind to several things in our life. But let's say Samson now comes down, he's, he's out of the crowd and he's Rocking, and he's running around the race. What are the lessons that he would whisper into our ears? What are the things that he would tell us? I believe there's three things, and the last one, I believe, is really the reason why he's in the hall of faith. The first is one he would say, protect the presence of God. Listen, you need to protect the presence of God. You need to learn how to cultivate the presence of God. Obedience grabs God's attention. Listen, you want to know how, why I know that obedience grabs God's attention? Because when your children are obedient, it grabs your attention, right? 
When your children do something that they know they should do, or they do something when you ask them to do it, the first time you ask them to do it, you stop and you take notice. What just happened? Right? I didn't have to ask them five times. I'm really trying hard not to look at my own kids when I talk about this. Right? Because this, this is not about my kids. This is about all kids. We were kids. It's about us too. Right? But when we're, when we're disobedient, when we're obedient, rather, we grab our parents' attention. I believe obedience grabs the attention of God. When you cultivate that presence of God. Listen, I love James 1.8 when it says, when you, James 4.8, when we draw near to God, what? There's this confidence that he will draw near to you, right? We can lean into the presence of God. David himself said, it is a good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all of his works. Listen, it's a good thing to be in the presence of God. I want to draw near to God. What does that mean? When you draw near to God, it means you have to move. you got to position yourself. you got to lean in. you got to initiate. James, the brother of John, says when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. There's a lean in. There's a I start, he responds. We're like, well, I just want God to come to me. He already has come to you. He's died on the cross. He rose again. He's made everything available. You now have to come to the foot of the cross. you got to come into the presence of God. And I guarantee you, when you make that step to cultivate the presence of God, to protect the presence of God, he will meet you where you are at. David also says, do not cast your presence from me or take away your Holy Spirit from me. What are they saying? Listen, we need to put God first, don't we? That's our, that's our focus. We need to put God first in everything that we do. We need to put God first in our time, in our talents, and our treasures. We need to make God the Lord of our lives. Secondly, thing we would learn is that we need to choose your relationships carefully. We need to all choose our relationships carefully. This isn't just something we teach our children. This is something all of us need to do. At every stage and every age of our life, we need to be careful of who we allow to influence our life. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with those who don't serve God and, and don't love God. In fact, I encourage you to, but you have to limit their amount of influence they have on your life. We need to be out. We need to know all the people who don't know Jesus. We need to be rubbing shoulders with those who are far from God. How else will we bring light into the darkness? But we got to be careful on the influence they have in our life. We need to make sure we're, our influence is greater. We need to make sure the light of Jesus shines brighter than the darkness that we surround ourselves with. So don't blindly take all the relationships that come to you. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. There are four type of relationships we all need to be thinking about. We need to nurture important relationships. If there are important relationships, you need to figure out how do I continue to nurture these relationships. We need to restore any broken relationships. If they're important to you how do, and they're broken, how do we restore those broken relationships? We need to sever some harmful relationships Maybe you have some relationships that are just hurtful and harmful, and no matter what you do, it never comes, nothing good comes out of them. Just you need to sever that relationship. And the, th the last thing is we need to initiate meaningful relationships. I remember my mom telling me as a kid, you want to have, you have, you have, have friends, then be friendly. You know? Sometimes you've got to initiate the friendship. Don't always wait for someone to come to you. Initiate meaningful friendships. You find people that you want to learn from. I remember my wife and I, we were at a church, and we just saw this couple. We loved how they raised their kids. We loved how they, how they, they had three boys, four boys. And we just loved the relationship they had with their boys. They were about 10, 15 years older than us. But we just said, we want a little bit of what they have. We want to figure out their secret sauce. And so we initiated a relationship with them because we wanted to learn from them. We wanted to see what they did. You got to find people around you that you want to initiate meaningful relationships. Proverbs 13, 20 tells us that those who walk with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Listen, 
Choose wisely who you surround yourself with. Choose wisely who you allow to influence your life. Don't be like Samson. This also gives a reason for us to meeting together on a Sunday or, or meeting together in homes. Hebrew tells us don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You can't do this on your own. You can't live this life of faith on your own. You can't nurture purpose in your life on your own. But encourage one another. Let's encourage one another. All the more as we see the day approaching. Listen, we need to surround yourself with people who love the Lord, who are going to encourage you in your faith and walk with you in times of struggle, who love you enough for you to hate them. And I believe this is the one moment. This is the last thought or the thing that I believe Samson would tell us, which gives us a reason why he's in the hall of faith. And this idea that failure is never final. And this is the good news for all of us today, is that failure is never final. Failure is never final. I believe this is why Samson was listed in the Hall of Faith. See, Samson lived the life, made the list, not because of the life that he lived, but how he finished his life. See, how we're finished is how we are remembered, isn't it? You, unfortunately, you can work at a career and you can be an, an amazing employee and you can do everything right, but if your last season of your employment is sour, and leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. Maybe you're snappy, maybe you're tired, maybe you're angry. And when you leave, the story that people are gonna tell is how you left, not how you started, right? We see that the story of the, of the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross is a, is a thief. He's beside Jesus. He, he has hurt people, he's robbed from people, he's stolen from people, he has, he has gone against, he's broken one of the 10 commandments. And we don't know anything about his life except one thing, how he finished. When he says, Lord, remember me in paradise. And Jesus says, I'll see you with you. Listen, how we finish is how we are remembered. And Samson didn't make the hall of faith because he lived a godly, righteous life. No, he was a mess. He was a mess, deceitful, disobedient in every way. But in the last stages of his life, he allowed God to use them. And they're one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. In this story, if not all Scripture, is this moment. He's, he's, he's given up his secret to Delilah. Delilah has cut his hair. The Philistines came in and they have captured him. They gouged out his eyes and they have made him a slave to the, to the people that he was born to overrun, that he was born to lead Israel to, to take over, to, to turn over. Listen, he has lost everything. And there's this one beautiful scripture found in Judges 16, 22, and this is scripture of hope. It says this, and then his hair on his head began to grow again. I, there's that scripture and the one where Jesus is telling the story about the lost son who wanted basically his dad to die, take his inheritance and runs away realize he's screwed up so bad and comes home just to be a slave. And the one scripture found in Luke, Luke 15, it says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. I'm so grateful that we serve a God of second chances. I'm so grateful that we serve a God where failure is never final. We serve a God who always responds that there's always a chance for hope. 
It says that Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time. And they bring him into this Colosseum, and he asked those who were bringing him to put him beside the temple pillars. And in this last cry, in this last declaration, this hope that God would hear him and forgive him and restore him and help him live the life of purpose. He pushes down the temple pillars. And the Bible tells that he killed more people in that day, himself included, than his entire life of killing Philistines. And in such, lived out the purpose in some way that God had for him. See, I believe somebody needs to hear this today is that we serve a once more type of God. You don't know, but you don't know, Adam. You don't know. You don't know the mistakes I made. You don't know the decisions I've made. You don't know the places I've gone. You don't know the, hurt, the hurts that I've caused. You don't know. No, 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 I do know. I do know that we serve a God of one more time. We serve a God who, while he was still far away off, while he was even coming back with his head hang low, the Father's heart reached out to him and not just saw him, but ran to him. You may have sold your purpose for a wooden nickel, but I'm here to tell you that your hair is going to grow back, figuratively speaking. For some of you, that ship have sailed a long time ago. But I believe it's not over. You see, here it is. Failure is only final when you refuse to get back up again. Failure is only final when you refuse to get back up again. Don't stay down. I tell you what, the enemy of this world, the enemy of your soul, wants you to stay down. He's going to keep kicking you while you are down. He does not want you to get back up because he knows once you get back up, you get to see the hope of another day. They understand that God's mercies are new every morning, that yesterday will tragic, yesterday will harmful, and yesterday, while there may be consequences, there's no decisions, you serve a God of second chances who's going to walk with you into a renewed sense of purpose and a renewed sense of hope. I love Proverbs 24 and 16. I'm going to end with this. It says, The godly may trip seven times, but they get up again. But they get up again. So Samson's going to encourage us today. Get up. Don't stay down. Don't wait till the final moment to live the purpose that God has designed for your life. Don't let, don't let failure win and don't let failure define you, but allow the God of second chances to give you a renewed sense of hope and purpose today. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Just with every eye bowed and every head closed, the other way around, every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. I, at the end of the day, I'm just a, a messenger. But at the end of the day, I, just, I believe Holy Spirit wants to speak to all of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's no one, there's no one perfect in this room. There's no one who, who's got it, said they got it all figured out, myself included. We're all failures in some way or another. We're all sinful. We've all messed up. There's some areas in our life we're really good at rebounding with. We're really good at receiving God's grace and his acceptance and his strength. And we're really good at excelling, accepting help. But there's other areas that we don't talk about. There are other things that we keep hidden. There are other things that we allow to rule us. 
there are other things that we feel we will never, ever overcome. And I'm here today just to want to speak hope and life that with God all things are possible. And that he wants to empower you today to not do it in your own strength, but in his strength, become a victor. For the enemy wants you to become a failure. And so God, right now, I just pray that you would just speak to us individually this morning, that you would speak to us specifically, that you wouldn't give us a word of encouragement for our hearts and our souls. Remind us, God, that you have not given up on us today, that you are with us. And that purpose that was spoken into our lives from the very beginning while we were knit together in our mother's womb has not been forgotten. It is not without purpose. It is not without point. But God, you are continually speaking, waiting for us to go back to you, to return back to you. And so God, we open up our hearts. Encourage us today by the Samson story. May we learn from his mistakes. May we learn from his life. May we learn from his experience so that we may continue to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. If you're in this room and maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, maybe we keep talking about Jesus, we're singing about Jesus, maybe you're in this journey of discovering faith and you don't know who Jesus is and you're just, something is inside of your heart saying, I just want to know more. I, I want to reach out. I, I want to even give my heart to him today. The Bible tells us, Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is an act of faith. And we're not going to admit that you're going to learn everything and have everything figured out, but there's this idea that there's a sense of faith to believe that there is a God who loves me, who created me, who designed me, who, 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 who gave me purpose. I'm not just living an aimless life, but I'm living, I want to live a life of purpose, not just anybody's purpose, but the purpose that God has made for me. If that's you in this place and you want to receive Jesus, you just have to confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord in your own ways, in your own heart, in your own words. You can say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, my eyes have been opened to see you, maybe even for the first time. And I recognize my need for you today. I recognize, like Samson, I've done my own thing. I've lived my own life. I've gone my own way. But in this moment, Father, I recognize my need for you. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the things that have separated me from relationship with you. And help me, God, get to know the Father through you. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. And as much as I know now, as much as I understand at this moment, I choose to follow you. I choose to, for you to be the Lord of my life. Help me grow in you every day. Thank you for the faith and the hope that I have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you. If not, you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time. Listen, there's a connection card found in the seat in front of you. Take a couple moments and just take out that card. Let us know. You need to tell somebody. Listen, I believe that is the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. Saying I do to your spouse comes a great second, but the first is saying yes to Jesus. And let us know. We want to walk with you. We want to give you resources to help you grow in your faith. But just let us know. Either come tell us in person or you can go Carol's at the back. You can fill out a connection card and we will make sure you get the right information. And, uh, but if you're here, listen, I want you to go in God. I want you to go with a renewed sense of purpose today. I want you to go filled with hope that we serve a God of second chances. And today is a new day. Today is a new day and his mercies are new every morning. So yesterday was yesterday. Today is a good day. So go with God. So may the God of hope Stay with all joy and peace as you continue to trust in him so that you may overflow with hope at home and at work in the community on the beach 
with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I bless you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are dismissed. God bless you.